Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Losing the Plot. I'm Leo Robertson. I find artists of all varieties I find interesting. They're usually writers, they don't have to be. And uh, we talk about their work, we talk about life, we talk about anything and everything. We lose the plot together, hence the title of the show. As always, we start with the latest of what's going on over at Aphotic Realm. Uh, issue number seven is out now, it's gruesome. Who doesn't love over-the-top 80s horror films? A punk band fights off a horde of possessed fans at a local concert. A makeout session at the cemetery takes a turn for the worst. Slashers, critters, demons, gore, hairspray. The 80s horror B-movie aesthetic is what issue 7 gruesome is all about, so do check that out. The Realm also has its own merch store right on the Aphotic Realm site itself. Uh, you can buy t-shirts, beanies, caps and tank tops. And if you check out the new Aphotic Realm Instagram, you can see yours truly sporting an Aphotic Realm t-shirt uh, in the dark grey heather colour. I think it's great. And uh, there's loads of cool other merch. I'm sure I will get other stuff too. And uh, I hope you will as well. Please do check out the merch in the store. Finally, I hope you will consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon. As a patron, you'll get early access to podcast episodes such as this one. Um, you can also uh, get digital downloads of all Aphotic books as well. So do check that out. Please consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon also. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo. Our guest this episode is Ben Arzate. He's the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Saying Goodbye, which is out with Nihilism Revised as a collection of bizarro short stories. Most recently, his novel The Story of the Why came out with Cabal Books. I do hope you'll check both of those out. He's also editing uh, an anthology entitled Memories of Love. It's fiction and poetry inspired by The Magnetic Fields and Stephen Merritt. That will be out with Mongrel Press. Uh, it's uh, up to 3,000 words. Deadline is 1st of August, Memories of Love Anthology at gmail.com. If you have something appropriate for that, you can check out the details of that submission call on his blog, on Ben's blog, or on the Mongrel Press Facebook. So if you're a writer and you want to write something inspired by the magnetic fields, do consider submitting to that project. But that's all the intro for me. So here is my chat with Ben Arzate. Okay, so you're from you're from Iowa. Yes, I am. Um, I know two things about Iowa. One is the Iowa Writers Workshop, and the other one is Slipknot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems to be Slipknot seems to be like uh, our major contribution to uh, to American culture. It's a pretty good one. I think so. I mean, a lot of people like shit on new metal, but I, I actually do like Slipknot and a lot of people even like here still seem to like them. So I guess 
they managed to break the uh, the mold. Well, music is a big influence of yours. Would you count them amongst them? Um, I don't know if I count them as a major influence. I do like their music, but um, uh, I only own like their their first album, um, mm. and I'm not like a huge fan of theirs. But I do I, I do like them though. Uh, what about the Iowa Writers Workshop? Uh, the Iowa Writers Workshop that's at the I think it's at the University of Iowa. Um, that's obviously an exclusive one. Um, I haven't taken part of that, and I went to Iowa State, which is more of the um, tech college because at the time I. I wanted to be uh, um, in computer science, but I took a few classes of that and realized I definitely didn't want to do that for a career. And so I ended up like changing majors to psychology. But tell me about Bizarro then. When did you find Bizarro? Um, it's funny. I think I first found Bizarro back in when I was in high school. Uh, I found some of like Carlton Mellick's short stories online. Mm. Um, but because I could never find his books in, or any other Bizarro books in the library, uh, I kind of put off reading it, reading an actual like Bizarro book for a while until I uh, picked up the orange Bizarro starter kit. I think that's the first like proper Bizarro book I read. Mm-hmm. What, why did it appeal to you? Uh, it appealed to me because I was like, um, I had been interested in horror for a while and I was like interested in the more, um, uh, uh, left field kind of horror, and uh, um, you know, I found his work and it, uh, Carlton Mellick's work, and it, um, and it appealed to me. Uh, I, I guess I can, it's hard to explain exactly what it is that appealed to me. It's kind of, it's just kind of reading it just resonated with me. Hmm. It seems to me, and I think a lot of Bizarro writers or readers agree that there's something about Bizarro that it's just a mindset that you either possess or you don't. Yeah, that, that definitely seems to be the case. Like I'd read like uh, some of the progenitors of Bizarro, like uh, Thomas Pinchon and William S. Burroughs and so forth. And I was definitely a huge fan of like William S. Burroughs. Uh, so I guess that like discovering that there's this whole, um, this whole uh, genre dedicated to that kind of writing was a, um, you know, was a good find for me. Interesting to call them the progenitors. I don't think I've heard that before, but it yeah. makes sense because I suppose... Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe progenitor is not the right word. Maybe predecessors is a better one because I guess like progenitors is like the ones who actually started it and that, that didn't actually start until like Malik and, and some of the other and people like the Harlan Wilson and Bradley Sands like actually coined the term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess it would be like precursors like people who were writing like um, strange fiction before it was like a thing to do. Sure. But then I suppose some of the main, well, I mean, one of the main themes of Bizarro is alienation. Um, yeah. That, I think that's definitely a big thing that it appeals to people with a sort of, who, you know, feel alienated uh, genre fiction in general has been, has been very heavily appealing to people who uh, feel alienated and bizarro is like a, a way to, it's almost like a way to write in genre fiction without feeling um, uh, constrained by certain uh, genre conventions. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of like bizarro out there that could be easy, easily considered like science fiction or, um, or fantasy, but it, um, but it, it, 
but it, Bizarro gives it sort of like a, okay, this doesn't like need to be like a space opera. It takes place in space, but it's, but, but I can go anywhere I want with it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's the freedom, but also did you, did you feel alienated in high school when you were reading this stuff? Um, I, yeah, I felt pretty alienated most of my life. So that definitely appealed to me. <laughs> okay. Not to like engage in like, uh, sound like I'm like whining or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think that, um, I don't think that feeling alienated is a choice. No. Um, I mean, uh, and I guess in some aspect, like if someone, uh, like someone can embrace being alienated, but, um, yeah, it's definitely like something I don't think uh, most people like actively choose to do. Hmm. And so, when did you start writing? Um, I'd say like when I first really started started was back in high school when I was writing um, was writing song lyrics, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, after I'd been doing that for a while, uh, I started moving into writing poetry. Like the first things I like actually had published in my college student journal were a couple poems. And then I uh, took some like short story classes uh, in college and then started, you know, writing some of those. And uh, eventually at some point I, you know, actually started moved into like writing novels. And um, I just had the, my first novel, uh, The Story of the Why, released uh, last month as a recording this. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're going to talk about it, and um, but I think we'll like I'll talk first about your short story collection that came out with Nihilism Revised because that came out first, right? Yeah, the complete idiot's guide to saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a lot of years work in there. Yeah, I think the oldest one on uh, let's see, it was published in 2018, and I'm pretty sure the oldest story in there was from like. Uh, uh, I don't know, like uh, 2012, I think. Did you know that you were assembling this for all those years? Um, sort of, yeah. I had my like original idea was to do like a book of uh, Bizarro short stories and a book of realist short stories. Um, and then at some point, I decided to scrap the idea of like realist short stories and put together um, the Complete Idiot's Guide to Saying Goodbye. So I noticed that there's some of the stories have potent, I mean, potentially Japanese characters, Japanese settings, and there's a lot of like uh, manga imagery in the book. Um, was that deliberate? Where does that come from? Uh, that's, I mean, definitely just for me being a, a fucking weeaboo. Um, <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, it's just, I do enjoy like reading, uh, manga and I don't watch as much anime as I used to, but I just used to watch it all the time. So it's definitely an influence on me. Um, I know that, um, uh, let's see, one of the stories in there, violent bitch Hitomi is inspired by, uh, like that sort of late eighties, early nineties, like post-apocalyptic anime stuff like, uh, violence Jack, especially, uh, Fist of the North Star, MD Geist, things like that. Mm. And there's one in there uh, called the um, Akihabara Strangler. Um, like the the title, of course, refers to like the district, the famous like electronics district of Tokyo. Mm. Um, but that one was more inspired from reading um, uh, 
someone like Kenji Shiratori's um, experimental works. And um, uh, the, it, it, it's kind of, from, kind of hard for me to explain where that one came from. Originally, it was like the beginning of like a much longer story, but for some reason, it just seemed to stand by itself. So I just stopped there. Mm-hmm. Is that a favorite of yours? Um, I don't know if I'd call that a, a favorite of mine. Um, it is one, um, I think it's one of the more interesting ones because another thing, another thing I had with it is I also conceived of like turning that into a, uh, into an album with that being the text that accompanies it. Uh, because at some point I do want to get back into making music like I did in high school. Ah, okay, right. Yes. Cause you mentioned making song lyrics. So did you compose songs as well? Uh, yes, I did mostly on like FL Studio. Mm-hmm. So like writing the lyrics to the to the songs was like my beginning of writing, and I kind of discovered that that was like one of my favorite parts of the process. Mm-hmm. Did you ever perform anything? I, I never performed on stage. No, I did record a, a couple songs that uh, hopefully people don't find because they were not very good. <laughs> ah, well, I mean, when you start any creative venture, it's never. It's never very good. It's just it's strange that people don't um people don't notice that though. I feel like some people say, Oh, you know, I always wanted to write, but then I started writing and it wasn't very good. It's like, well, of course it wasn't. You hadn't done it before. So <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, okay. Story of the Why is based on an obscure musician. Can you tell me the story behind it? Yeah, the uh, the musician it's based on is uh, Y. Beckhurst, who um, is a real musician and isn't basically like nobody knows anything about him. Uh, they um, well, they suspect that it's one guy, but uh, nobody even knows if that's the case. Um, it basically, like his he he apparently like went into in New York City, went into record stores and gave them his. Uh, his album and his single. Uh, and then he just kind of, kind of disappeared. Nobody heard anything from him and his music is, uh, it's quite, it's quite strange. It's, um, the best way I can describe it is it sounds like someone who just learned how to play their instruments, trying to play a sort of seventies pop rock. Mm -hmm. So the result is this strange, almost like sort of kraut rock kind of sounding music. Mm-hmm. And what what about it appealed to you as a specific inspiration for a piece of fiction? I guess it was the um, the mystery. I just came up with this idea of it would be interesting to try to track him, to actually like physically track him down. Mm-hmm. So I came up with the story of a of a music journalist trying to uh, to to track him down in uh, in Mexico. And I take it that the um, maybe the course of the narrative or the structure of the book is similar to the music itself. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like complete. It's quite that. Um, I did. I did like listen to the album several times, and uh, the book does have the same number of chapters as the. Uh, as the as the um, album has numbers of songs, uh, but it's um, 
but it's not like directly inspired by the structure of the um of the album i just kind of let the story go where it, where it did because i don't like outline or anything like that i uh it's right by the seat of my pants mm-hmm. okay um there's a quote that i see appears at the beginning of all three of your books this one and uh your short story collection and your poetry collection also um it's the passion for destruction is a creative passion too yeah that's a quote from uh Mikhail Bakunin um and it's one that really uh really resonates with me um it, for me it it kind of felt like um with a lot of my uh my work that I was that it was um that it was kind of out there and trying to um and trying to kind of like uh, push against the conventions of writing, both intentionally and unintentionally. And it, it's also some of the more uh, depressing or extreme parts of my work. And it kind of felt to me like, um, like that quote was very appropriate. Like this mm-hmm. urge to, um, to destroy was the same as like, um, uh, uh, to like do something with it to destroy so you can build up breaking conventions and breaking rules um yeah as a as a means of uh you know creating a new one and and bakunin of course his he with him, he was an anarchist so his um so his context for the quote is more uh you know breaking down rules so a more free society could flourish oh okay um are there other ways in which you yourself are anarchic um well i am an uh like i actually do consider myself an anarchist um i'm not like very active in any kind of uh um in any kind of movement or anything like that um i think uh, my, my life is pretty average uh i just kind of i think this my beliefs are just somewhat unconventional mm-hmm. so you write for cultured vultures yes when did I you do, uh, book reviews for them mostly? Yeah, when did you start doing that? Uh, I think it, I think it was either in 2015, 2016. I was looking to because I'd been doing book reviews on my blog for a while, and I was looking to kind of expand out and place reviews in other places. And um, they, uh, you know, they, they liked the the review that I submitted and um, asked me to come on as a regular contributor. That's really cool. How often do you how often do you get to write stuff for them? Um, it really depends. Um, like mostly because of my um, own writing, um, I haven't been like doing other things besides reviews for them. Uh, usually, what I try to do is um, I'll uh, read a book that was sent to me to review and review it on there, then read a book for pleasure, and then read a book for review and alternate like that. Mm-hmm. And, and other times, uh, if I like come up with what I think is a uh, an interesting idea, I'll I'll pitch it to the uh, to the owner and see if they're interested in having it on their site. Hmm. Have you read anything good lately? Um. Yeah, I've read some pretty good stuff lately. Um. Let's see. I've fin- recently finished uh, David Barbie's Laser House on the Prairie. I had a lot of fun reading that. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I think. I'd say that the best book I've read so far this year is uh, Autumn Christian's Girl Like a Bomb. I really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. 
What was it about Autumn Christian's book that you liked so much? Um, it, to me, it uh, it it was a very uh, a very well done magic realist conceit uh, because it's this idea of this girl who, when uh, people have sex with her, it basically like gives them like a almost like a spiritual cleansing, uh, and I think uh, the way she balances out like the um, the sort of mysticism of that concept with um, how something like that would um, probably affect a person in the real world. I think she pulls that off very well. Um, I think some of the like psychological insights are very, um, very fascinating. And the prose is just um, excellent. Hmm. Um, you also finished uh, Bright Eastern Ellis's new book recently. Oh, yeah. Uh, why? Yeah. What did you think of it? Um, I did like it for the most part. Um, it's um, a few, uh, like it's it's not been very popular with critics because they um, uh, because they kind of view him as being uh, uh, wishy-washy in his political beliefs in it. Um, they, uh, and some people have accused him of being like a pro-Trump or something like that. Uh, but it, my favorite parts of the book were where he... Um, would go into like personal essays about um, where he had these personal essays about, um, about like his, his process uh, writing the various books. I especially found the, uh, the part where he talked about the, uh, the events that led up to him writing Lunar Park, pretty fascinating. Um, is that one of your favorites of his? Um, I don't know if I call Lunar Park uh, my favorite of his, um, but it, I do think it's, um, I do think it's an underrated book. Um, uh, a lot of people like outside of his first three books seem to dismiss Brady Stanellis, but I think his other books, um, like, uh, um, Imperial Bedrooms and, uh, Lunar Park are both pretty good. What about BizarroCon? Have you ever been, or are you going to go? Um, I, no, I haven't been, I have a lot of doubts if I would ever go because of time and money. Um, I, I don't know if I'd be able, if I'd be able um, to take the time off work and actually go there unless I could guarantee, like I would actually like, I don't know, like sell books. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds mm -hmm. like a, uh, a bit of a, um, I don't know, a bit of like a, a, a transactional way of looking at it, but for like attending, uh, cons like that, I personally can't see myself doing it unless it's to sell books or, or something like that. Hmm. It's a practical constraint. I mean, if you're going to spend all that money going there, I suppose. Um, yeah. Fair enough. I, I saw also, do you have a poetry collection in the works now? Um, I am currently working on a poetry collection. Uh, the title for it is uh, Dr. Sodom and Mrs. Gamora. Um, I'm working on pieces for that and it's actually not just going to be poems. It's also going to be things like, um, uh, things like some song lyrics that I've written recently, um, uh, scores for performance art because I recently read a book about, uh, Vini's actionism that really inspired me. Um, and, just other sort of like texts that don't really like fit in a, into any specific category. Hmm. And is that, 
Is that going to come out soon or is something that you're just working on? Uh, it is something I'm working on. I can't say how long it's, um, it would be until it comes out. Um, I, I have, I've, I've like two other novels that I've finished and I'm shopping around. So it's like the Dr. Simon and Mrs. Gamora is a way of, um, I guess sort of cooling off from that and working on something, uh, that, that doesn't like fit the constraints of being like a novel or a short story collection or some, anything like that. Hmm. Cool. Well, it sounds like you've got no signs of slowing down. No, I don't think I could at this point. I kind of feel like I like built up a lot of like momentum with what I've done and I just want to keep working on things. Well, that's awesome. Um, that's all of my questions. Um, is there anything that you think we should have talked about? Is there anything you want to let my listeners know about? Uh, there is one thing I, I want to plug. One thing I am, um, um, I am currently working on is in association with a new press from the UK called Mongrel Press. Um, I'm editing a, uh, anthology called, uh, called Memories of Love. And it's a collection of fiction and poetry inspired by, uh, the magnetic fields and Stephen Merritt. Um, uh, and I'm looking for submissions for that. Uh, so if you have anything that would, so if any like listeners have anything that, uh, they feel would fit that they can email memories of love anthology at gmail.com. Um, I'm looking for a poetry and fiction under uh, 3000 words. Cool. Well, it's mostly writers that listen to this. So I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be a few people out there. Yeah. I guess I really appreciate your time and, and, and wish you the best of luck with all your future writing. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Okay. So that was Ben Arzate, author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Saying Goodbye, out with Nihilism Revised. And most recently, his debut novel, The Story of the Why, is out with Cabal Books. Please do check both of those out. Please do consider submitting to this uh, Magnetic Fields anthology out with Mongrel Press. Deadline is 1st of August. Uh, works up to 3,000 words. If you're a reader, writer, editor, listener, someone who's come across this show and you want to contribute somehow, you want to come on the show, you want to give me some feedback, whatever it is, you can always get in touch with me using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com and I look forward to hearing from you. But that's all for this episode, so until next time, bye bye.